Howdy friends, I'm Molly, your host today, and want to welcome you back to the No Boundaries International podcast. So as a reminder, this podcast is meant to be used as a tool to help equip you in your walk with Jesus in the areas of restoration, of training, and outreach. So it's super, super fun because we do this by using a combination of first exploring biblical principles and then also taking a closer look at concepts found in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course. And then we also have tons and tons of discussions surrounding what it truly means to follow Jesus in these areas. So I'm very excited because in today's episode, we're going to be once again sitting down with Sandy Orchard. Hello. She's our co-founder, vice president, and Bible geek. And we're going to be talking about communion. So we're going to be discussing what it is, why we do it, and what it really actually truly means for our lives. And how cool it is. And how cool it is. So we'll do this by looking at a few key verses from the Bible and a few excerpts from certain books or certain passages that we've read um, throughout the years. So yay, Sandy, are you excited? I am very excited. (laughs) Okay. And honestly, like, I'm just going to be real here. I mean, sitting here where I am right now, I've grown to love communion. I love what it offers. I love the relationship that it reminds me of, like, that I can be restored and reconciled to my father. And I love every single thing that it represents. But I have to admit that when I first started growing in relationship in Christ, and I first started really following the teachings of Jesus, I thought it was super weird. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I mean, you... Well, if you read it from the Bible, I mean, it's like Jesus says, eat my flesh and, you know, all all the disciples kind of turn their head at once and look at him like... What is happening? Like, that's that's really weird. And that's what I thought too. When I I remember sitting in my room when I was first reading through the Bible for the whole way through, and I got to that part and I was like, "This is awkward. <laughs> like, are we gonna? Is anyone actually going to acknowledge what he's saying right now? Because this is weird." But I think even scripturally speaking, people got up and yeah, left. Yeah, that was the the deciding point for a lot of people. For a lot of people, and you have to admit that somebody came up to you and said, like in person, staring mm-hmm. at you in your face and saying, "I want you to eat my flesh." You're yeah, like, be you'd like, be out the first one out the door. You Correct. Know? <laughs> so I think I'm really excited to address this topic because I think that a lot of people have that kind of reaction. I know I did. And so for us to get a really good picture of what this truly means and what the power of behind it is really saying, I think is huge, especially today. So then I want Sandy, you to go ahead and then just get started with a very basic question. What is communion? Well, you read the Bible, the... Um, when it's all through the Gospels, when uh, Jesus tells us to remember Him, what He's done on the cross, and we have this communion thing, um, it's and I I hate to use the word tool, but it's such a powerful, huge gift from God mm-hmm. to that uh, enables us to position our heart correctly toward Him, and to and so what I mean by that, it's kind of a lot of flowery language, but to get in right relationship with Him and to align everything. That is us, our body, soul, and spirit, mm-hmm. align all of that into Him. And, then, you know, to put our focus totally on Him. And so it's it's just a really beautiful gift um, that He's given us. And He talks about it, like, in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, he talks, like, hey, I want you guys to, to remember me as you do this. And it was probably a little odd for the disciples on the front end, like, when He's talking about it. Because really, He's, what Jesus is saying, I'm about to die, and I'm about to, you know, rise again, and mm-hmm. and basically change the whole world as we know it. And so I'm about to die. And so once I get past that little 
that big thing about dying and rising again. I want you to do this in remembrance of me because it's a big deal. So he's telling them in advance. Yeah, so he's telling them ahead of time. They're probably so confused. Yes, and I, I think that probably led a little bit to the confusion, but I mean, what choice yeah. did he have, you know? I mean, that's just how, how it, it all laid out. Yeah. So he says that in 1 Corinthians 11, and and, uh, and then here we are, we're kind of removed from it by 2,000 years, and so sometimes... Um, you know, we get so busy as we read about that in the Bible. Um, we read, we have this busy life with our to-do list and, and then we go to church and it feels kind of like more of a ceremony sort of thing. Yeah. And so it loses the impact. You're like, oh, now it's communion time because yeah. we're 20 minutes into the service. And some, you know, and churches all to kind of do it differently. And, yeah. um, and so sometimes it's, it becomes more like a sort of a ritual sort of thing. And I, I don't I really don't think that that's really how Jesus meant for it to be. Yeah. Because everything about Jesus was like, hey, I want you to change from the inside out. I want, your, I want you to engage your heart in relationship with me. So why would this, uh, you know, this, this gift that God has given us in communion, why would that be any different? Mm-hmm. So before I get too deep into this, uh, I just want to give a quick reminder about how the kingdom of God works, like especially as you read stuff in the Bible, that, and this is going to sound really elementary, but God is truth. Mm-hmm. And so I know as followers of Christ, we all know that. And we can see the truths as we read them in the Bible. But the thing is, is like, it's layered. And so, when, especially when you read Like truths, an onion. Yeah, kind of <laughs> like an onion. So, um when you, especially when you start off in the Old Testament, like you, there's these basic foundational truths that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And then as you continue reading in the Bible, especially when Jesus enters in the scene, Jesus didn't, and he, he even says this in the, in the word, he didn't come to destroy those prior truths. What he's doing is he's building like layers. He's been, so he's putting truth on top of truth. Okay. And so in other words, like, like an example would be like in Exodus 20, um, God says, you, you shall not commit adultery. And so this is like a foundational truth and, and, and how the, how he wants the kingdom of God run, like don't commit adultery. But then, you know, so we take it as like this moral rule and it seems like a really good one, you know, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, be faithful to, to who you've committed to don't have a, you know, right. don't have affairs and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's a good moral rule, but when Jesus comes along, he says, Hey, it's way deeper than that. And so he brings a, a, a deeper truth that it builds on the prior truth. It doesn't destroy the truth. It just builds on it. Mm. And so, um, so Jesus comes along and he's like, hey, not only don't commit adultery, but don't even, don't even have lust in your heart. It starts in your heart. And I want you to, like Jesus saying, I want you to take a look at your heart situation. Um, you know, do you have lust? And if you do, then you probably need to deal with it. Yeah. Because it's going to consume you and it's going to interfere with the relationships between me and you because I, mm-hmm. I don't want you doing it. And it's going to interfere with that relationship you're having with that person you're committed to. And so Jesus comes along and says, hey, it's way bigger than just don't do the act. Jesus is saying, hey, it's about your heart. Check your heart. Hmm. That's good. Okay. So all that to say that it a lot of concepts in the Bible are multi-layered. And so we're going to come back to that because that was actually, well, toward the end, they're all, t- all tied together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so back to communion. So in order for us to really see the value of communion, we have to remember what Jesus did for us. We have to see the why of the cross. And sometimes 
it's not completely clear. So um, we're going to give a tiny little review. So a lot of you already know this. And so we'll just, just give a quick review. So in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just to be, you know, have a little definition for the wages, the wages a lot of times means the cost. It's going to cost you. Mm-hmm. Sin's going to cost you. So he's saying the cost of sin is death. And and so it's not only like, okay, everybody dies. I mean, right. everybody has their number of years on the earth and they die. Um, but really sin in of itself is a, a, it carries death and it does destructive things inside of your heart. Right. And so it causes your heart, your spirit to, to not be alive because mm. Christ, when you follow him, when you surrender to him, he gives you life. He gives you hope. He gives you peace. He gives you forgiveness. He gives you a reason for living. Mm-hmm. He gives you all these things. That's life. It's having a really full life. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we're free from problems and it doesn't mean we're free from bad things happening to us. We have like a, a, a true reason for living so that the, the burdens don't weigh us down because he's always with us. And so it's really important to understand that because if we say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I give my life to you, that means I'm going to live according to your definition of, of what truth is and your definition of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when we realize that sin separates us from him and that sin separates us from the Father and it has this destructive nature in it, then we're going to choose to not sin and and we know that we have, and something has to be done about our sin. And that's why where Jesus comes into the picture. Right. Because we're going to be paying something. Yeah. So when you sin, there is, there is a a cost. cost to it. Okay. And so the word says that if you sin, and I don't mean like you did that one thing wrong. I mean, it's a choosing, a deliberate choosing of rebelliousness yeah. that, that we're born under. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to live like that, there's a cost and the cost is death. Wow. And so in Hebrews 9.22, it says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In other words, in the spiritual realm, the, the uh, wages of sin is death. So the cost... And the thing that will take care of the sin is a, a shedding of blood. And we want, like, in sin is what separates us from God. Right. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so the way in the Old Testament that they took care of the sin problem, like, they know that there's this thing separating us from God. So, like, what are we going to do about it? And that's when they had the sacrificial system. If you remember in the Old Testament, like, they had the temple and... And like you have to sacrifice a dove or an ox or, you know, yeah. whatever. And that, that sacrifice, that death of the animal is supposed to cover our sins. Yeah. And it had to be done over and over and over. And the reason why it had to be done so many times is because it just covers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually take care of the sin. It doesn't go away. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the sin is really a heart issue. Mm-hmm. And so... God the Father and Jesus see that there's this huge problem, which is our sin. And they knew that, and this is like back in Genesis 1 and 2. <laughs> like they knew that this was going to be a problem. Can't get through one podcast exactly. without mentioning Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> so even back there in, in as they're creating the, the world, they knew that this was going to pro- be a problem. So it says in there that from the foundations of the earth, Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. Wow. 
there's going to be this huge problem. And he, and he was okay with not, not just okay, but he radically loves us so much that he, he knew that he was going to have to die and suffer Mm -hmm. in our place. And he was, he was good with that. I want to do this because I love my kids. I love uh, what I've created. I love them so much that I don't want to be separated from them. Yeah. And so he, Jesus was totally in on being the ultimate sacrifice for us. And it's the last sacrifice because it's not a covering of our sin. So like when he went to the cross mm-hmm. and that blood was shed, it wasn't a covering of our sins. It was a complete destroying and getting rid of our sins if we accept it. Yeah. If we accept the gift mm-hmm. and we surrender our lives and follow him in that. And so it's a huge deal. So he became the ultimate sacrifice. Yes, the last and ultimate final sacrifice. Like a and in the Old Testament they talk a lot about Passover, the mm-hmm. Passover lamb, the one that takes away the sin, you know. Yeah. And so Jesus is even John the Baptist said, "Here's the the Passover lamb, the one who takes away the sin of the world." Yeah. So when it, before whenever you had in the Old Testament, you'd have to go and just I'm just reiterating, so you'd go and take your animal, like you say you sinned. And it had, I mean, it was before Jesus. It's this whole process because it had to be the perfect animal. It can't have any, like, blemishes. Yeah, it can't have a broken wing or or looks funny or. Yes. So you had to take this perfect animal. First, you had to find your perfect animal. Right. And then you'd have to wait in line forever Mm -hmm. until you could go up there and then make a sacrifice. And it had to be done through the the high priest. Right. It had to be done through somebody. Okay. And, and so it was just like a whole system thing so to, just to cover. What Jesus does is he becomes that sacrifice. Yes. The ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to keep coming back over and over and over again mm-hmm. with some sort of blood covering. Right. Okay. And so what he did on the cross for us broke that curse. It wow. stopped it. Mm-hmm. But we have to, we have a choice. Going back to Genesis 2. <laughs> we have a choice. Are we going to accept that or not? Yeah. What he did for us. That's good. So it's really, really huge. And I think that if we can even just note here how the the Bible, like this isn't a story about how to keep us from sinning or to make us a people who have to consistently focus on our sin and on our behaviors. Like before, whenever they're covering, they're so focused on all of their sinful patterns. Mm-hmm. Like they have to be because they have to do something. Because it's make, a huge problem. Yes, because it's such a huge problem. Sin is a huge problem. It separates us from our creator. It's a big deal. But the story of the Bible isn't a story about how we have to now continue to focus on all the sin that's around us like they used to have to do before. Like the point of the cross then is to get our eyes off of all the ways that we fall short And then acknowledge that there is really, truly only one who's ever lived a perfect life. And that was Jesus. And to really, truly acknowledge that he's the one who paid the ultimate price. Because honestly, we could spend forever, all of forever, focusing on all of the death and sin inside of us. And we would never, ever, ever run out of things because we're human. And, and by focusing, you mean like getting stuck and like kind of like dwelling in it, sitting in right. it and dwelling in it. Yeah. And I mean, because we're all born into into sin and with a sinful nature. And scripture says that not one of us is good, but 
we weren't ever made to be the focus. I just want to reiterate that here is that Jesus is the one who we're supposed to focus on because it wasn't in the beginning. There were sinful humans who could never do anything right and needed to suffer like over and over again. That's not the point. It was in the beginning, God. And so he's supposed to be the whole focus of the Bible. Like Jesus is the focus of the Bible. But I think sometimes we get it so backwards. And if we can continue to look at our own sin and dwell in it, then that's whenever we end up on this roller coaster, because then on days that then it becomes about our faithfulness, not his. So if we're on this roller coaster on days that we're not sinning and we feel really, really good, then those are the days that we're going to choose to follow Jesus because we're doing really great. But then on the days that are hard and that, you know, whenever it's about our faithfulness and how well we do, then we'll tank. And then you get on this roller coaster of faith that is super inconsistent whenever they're really the whole point that there's only been one consistent one. So on the days that we're struggling, we'll start to think like, well, what's the point? But I love that communion is this invitation to stop making it about how well we're doing and to get our eyes and our focus on God and his faithfulness and what he's done. But I do think to acknowledge all of that, like I also want to say, however, like we do absolutely have to respond to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like, because sin is a big deal. Sin is the thing that separates it. So when we sin, it is absolutely 100% our responsibility to acknowledge it. To own up to to it. To own up to it, right. And then to actively repent. Yeah. And like to repent, meaning turning away from the sin and choosing to walk in a different direction towards the ways and teachings of Christ. And so it's like we, like we're saying here that we don't really want to get stuck in the dwelling of it, right? When we have someone who paid our debt for it, but because he paid our debt in full, we now have the freedom to choose to follow him and in his ways. But when our hearts aren't lining up, like we can, in fact, change our ways because of what he's done. Yes. Does that make sense? He's made a way. Right. And we must, especially if we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus. Yeah. So like, there's just this line of like, you have to, you have to acknowledge that there's sin in your life. And you have to acknowledge that it's separating you mm-hmm. and you have to own up to it. But then, and then you have to, repent. when you do that, don't get stuck there. Yeah. Don't get stuck on looking at all the ways that you're failing and all the ways that you're not faithful because then you'll just be on that roller coaster. Yeah. And I like how Mike Bickle puts it that he, he says, um, you know, when you, you found that you've sinned again and you failed again, cause that's, that's the reality of life really. Right. Um, that you own it and then you repent of it. And then you push delete, just like on the computer keyboard, you just push delete. Yeah. You, that meant, so you've dealt with it and then you keep going forward. And then you Christ. move on. You don't like push delete and keep pushing delete and keep pushing. Like I want to sit in it and I want to spin in it and I want to focus on myself. Like I keep pushing delete. Right. You know, push delete and, and go on and go on in the sense of following Jesus and what he's told us to do. Yes. Not go on in your sin, but to go on as in change your ways, acknowledge him and follow. And that's where I just want us to be careful that we don't get stuck in the dwelling of how horrible we are, because (laughs) that's just an endless pit that where it's still about you and spoiler alert, the Bible isn't about just you. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. That's good. That's good, Molly. 
So Sandy, now that we're off that tangent. <laughs> so then tell us about the only one who is good and tell us about what happened to him. So um, just the short version. So, you know, here we have Jesus, the son of, of, of God, who, who chose to come down here on earth. In other words, he's, he's living in heaven with Father God, and he, he knows it's his time to come and help us, to make a way for us. Um, so he leaves heaven. He takes, in essence, if you read the story of the Bible, I mean, he's, he's in essence, he's a king. So he's taking off his, his uh, kingly robes, so to speak, laying them at the Father's uh, feet and saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to earth. I'm just paraphrasing. I'm mm -hmm. going to earth, helping the, the humans that really need help, <laughs> your creation, your sons and daughters. Yes. You know, and those are all just kind of objective words. Really, he's radically in love with us yeah. coming down here. And living life like us. And I really love the New Testament because it shows that Jesus came and he lives a sinless life. He's shown us how to do life. Mm -hmm. He's shown us how to love the Father. He's shown us how to love others and, and walk around in love helping people. And so he does that. And he lives this perfectly sinless life. And then he allows himself, you know, he allows himself to be taken by um, the authorities and falsely accused and made fun of, and he's deserted by his friends and his family. I mean, he, it's a huge injustice that this perfectly sinless person, the only sinless person... He's gets, innocent. He's totally innocent. People are pointing fingers at him. They're making fun of him. They're calling him names. They start beating him. And it even says in Isaiah 52 that he was beaten until he's unrecognizable. That's awful. And, and in Isaiah 50, it says that his his beard was even pulled out, mm. and he was spit upon. He was made fun of. He was called names, um, and then he was tied to this pole where he's he's whipped with his the whip back then uh, that the Roman soldiers used were leather strands that had glass or bone embedded in the ends, Ugh. so that it would just totally it would totally rip apart your back to the point where the the bones were exposed. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's super painful and it's agonizing because it's not a quick death at all. It's really slow. And mm -hmm. then, and the, in the midst of it, they, uh, you know, push a crown of thorns on his head and, and in another effort to make fun of him and call him names. But he, all through it all, he goes to the, to the cross and lays on those cross beams and, and allows them to put the spikes in his wrists and his feet. And then they prop him up on that cross with his raw back up against wood, a grainy wood uh, cross beam. And I mean, that, that has to be so painful. And then they crucified him. But even as he was hanging there, he was struggling. He struggled to breathe. That's, and that's really one of the main ways that people die on the cross is from asphyxiation. They, they had a hard time breathing because they can't get enough like they're in a, the, the position they have him on the cross does mm -hmm. not allow for good breathing. So, you know, you're struggling to breathe and he's stripped naked. In other words, in an effort to shame him publicly in front of people. Wow. I mean, it was totally brutal and he did not deserve it at all, but he chose to do that because we, it should have been us on the cross taking the consequences for our rebellion against him, our choice of living a sinful life against him. So, but he decided he wanted to take that, that punishment instead of us. So the cross is a, a hugely big deal. Yeah, that's so good. And I think if we can just take um, just a second 
So really let that soak in. Like, we're talking innocence crucified. We're talking a perfect, blameless human who's fully God, choosing to lay down himself to serve us. Lay down his rights. To lay down his rights. Rights as a king, as the one who created us. To come in and take on flesh and then allow that humanly flesh to be tortured to the point that he's unrecognizable, that that's a king and that's the God that you that loves you so much. Like, if you want to talk about an act of love or an act of service, this is the ultimate. And I think it's not even just that he covered us, right? Like you're saying, it's not, the, it's not a covering, but he literally paid the price for us. He paid what we owed. Mm-hmm. His broken body literally says, you are forgiven of your debt. But I don't even think that we can stop it right there. Like we have to look at the why and the why is that because God wants relationship with us. And because we're forgiven of our debt, we can have that relationship with God again. And look at the lengths that he went to, to make sure that we could. He went to great lengths to make sure that nothing would separate us from the love of the father. And I love, I love how Strawn Coleman puts it. This is from his book called Beholding, but Strawn Coleman says it like this. He says, forgiveness is a profound act of grace and kindness. It says, I will no longer punish you for your hurtful actions, but it has nothing more to offer after that. Reconciliation says, forget what you owe me. I want you. I want what we had before this crisis. I want your presence and its fullness being fully enjoyed by me as I'm fully enjoyed by you. I've sorted out what's owed. Forget that. Now you can truly know, feel, and experience how much I love and celebrate you. And you can know me as that father again. Like that is so good. That's really, really good. Like the point of the cross wasn't just to say, I forgive you. Like that's part of it. And I love like forgiveness is huge. Mm -hmm. But if there's not a point to the forgiveness, we'll get lost in it. But the forgiveness says you don't owe me anything. The reconciliation to the father says it's because I want to be with you. Mm -hmm. I want to be with you so badly that I will send my son and I want to have our relationship so restored that I'll allow him and he will choose to be beaten and tortured on your behalf so that we can do life together again. So then if it's this, this sharing of life with us, then what does that mean for communion? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, those are really, really good points, Molly. And so um, communion is a hard engagement for us to remember what he did for us. To remember everything that we summarized in the physical side of of the crucifixion, but also what you're saying is that uh, through what Jesus did, we can have access to the Father. And not and access is a poor word. We have like a this covenant relationship with the Father as as a father daughter or father son. Mm-hmm. It's that's being restored because of what Jesus did to us. And so in communion, our job is to engage our hearts in that, that it was, we, you know, like Jesus did the gift, but we have to accept it. Yeah. I mean, I can all day long, Molly, I can wrap up this box and put it on the table for you, but you have a choice about whether you're going to gonna reach it. it, reach out and, and take the box and open it. Mm-hmm. So it, there's a, 
you know, two parts of that equation. And so, um, you know, here's what Jesus said about communion the, on 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what he's saying is, there's a remembrance part of that. Hey, don't forget what I did for you. And and that's really important because he knows that I forget what I had for lunch yesterday. Right. That I forget easily or I get caught up in the busyness of life. We forget what he's done. And we forget. Well, I mean, it, it's just a human thing with us that we have a really short memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and the more we remember, the more it causes our heart. And Dr. Lori would say, our, and our mind. Mm-hmm to have the mind of Christ, to, to be more thankful. And that thankfulness, that gratitude is kind of like a magnet for the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of like a magnet for us to go deeper in Jesus. Yeah. It's like an attraction. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like an attraction that Jesus is drawn to that when we have that thankfulness and uh, gratitude for what he's done, mm-hmm. it, it just seems to, to, that he really rewards us for that with his very presence. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it's his presence. It's changes. That's things. what changes everything. Yeah, exactly. And so when you can focus on him, then it's like your spirit is getting focus is calling on to the spirit, you know, spirit, spirit, to spirit. To spirit. and he's the life giver. Mm-hmm. So if it's spirit to spirit, that means he's imparting life into us. He's making our heart come alive. Yeah. So I've heard some people describe it like the opposite of it describe it like sleepwalking through life where your heart just feels dead. Yeah. Or you're just going through the motions. Uh Uh-huh. And so when you have that heart connection with Jesus, and especially when you do it with communion, where you align, you make that conscious choice to align yourself back into Christ, Mm -hmm. where you put your focus and intentional focus on Jesus and what he's done for us, then it makes your heart come alive. Yeah. So, Yeah. Okay, maybe, maybe I'm a, kind of a little passionate about communion there. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing, too, just by the way, so Jesus didn't really call it communion. So Jesus, when he did it, when we read about it, like in the gospel accounts, when he's doing it with the last, in the Last Supper with the disciples, and he, didn't even, he even, didn't even call it the Last Supper. He called it doing Passover. Hmm. So it's a, the Jewish ceremony, because Jesus was thoroughly Jewish, this Jewish ceremony of Passover, where they remember how God saved the the Israelites from Pharaoh. That's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. And so, um, you know, the whole remembering of what, how Jesus, how God delivered the Israelites from the Pharaoh is really, it's this forward looking statement about how Jesus is going to rescue us from the evil one. Mm -hmm. That's That's why, that's why I'm saying there's a lot of layers to the Bible. Yeah. So, I know that churches, there's a lot of different ways that churches do communion, but here's what I believe is, is really true, is that it's meant for every single believer. It's not supposed to be just for the, you know, the super Christian guy on the pulpit that has a lot of degrees. It's for everyone, mm-hmm. um, especially, and it becomes especially impactful and powerful when you engage your heart in it. Um, and so, you know, it's a heart commitment and, and the closest analogy that we as little humans can even 
have with that is like marriage, like a marriage covenant. And there's even a verse in the Bible in Isaiah 54 that says your maker is your husband. Mm. It's like the covenant that we have with Jesus is, is that important. Wow. That, um, you know, it's, it's a deep thing and it's supposed to engage our heart. And especially when we surrender to Jesus, because he's, we've decided that we want to follow him as the king of our lives when we surrender to him. And so we're basically saying, Jesus, I love you and I want to submit all of my life to you. And I, I submit to your love and I, and I submit to the covenant that you have made with me and I want to love you back and I want to love you with my life. Quick, quick question. Will you yes. just what does covenant mean? So covenant is, that's a, probably a whole nother podcast in itself yeah, because just we've used the word a lot in biblical senses. It's a, like a, a, a deep heartfelt promise made between two people that at least in ancient times had a, like in the biblical context had repercussions. Like if you broke the covenant with me, mm-hmm. you'd have a cost to pay. And back okay. then it was like the thing was I give you permission to kill me or I give you permission to, you know, put me out of the family or I have permission. I give you permission to um, to take me as a slave. There's always a, a repercussion for breaking the, the, mm-hmm. the, the big promise, the covenant. So it's like a, a super important promise. Yeah. Uh, that is heartfelt and carried a lot of weight to it. So this is going to be like then God is saying, I'm keeping my commitment to you at all costs in a covenant. Yes. Okay. And usually in the Old Testament times, mm-hmm. when it, when two people or uh, two countries made a covenant, each person had a part in it. In other words, like I would bring an ox to slaughter mm-hmm. and you would bring a whatever, a, you know, a pigeon or some birds or whatever to slaughter. And... The, and so each part, each person has a part in that covenant. And when you slaughter the ox or the bird or whatever, what you're saying is I make a promise. I keep my promise to you. I keep my covenant with you. And if I don't, I, then you can do to me what I did to this ox. I mean, it was huge. Cut me in half? Yes, you can kill me. Wow. That's what, what in essence is doing. But when Jesus made the covenant mm-hmm. on the cross, there was only one sacrifice. Mm. So he's, in other words, he's saying, um, I'm making a com- a commitment, a covenant with you, and um, and I'm going to take, like, I'm going to die for you. I will be the sacrifice for you, and I don't expect anything out of you. Wow. So he's going to keep his covenant, his end of the deal. He's going to keep his end of the deal and, and our, and hold our ours. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's a... It's there's a lot to it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Just want to just since we've used that word a few times now. Okay. Yeah. So, and so that's what we do when we celebrate communion. Um, and the the thing is, it has this super uh, important impact on our heart. Mm-hmm. And and one of the ways I describe it, like just these are just my language, is that it keeps me really honest before the Lord. So in other words, like a lot of times I'll do this at at my home. Yeah. Um, when I had just have a, my morning time with Jesus sort of thing, when I, I want to connect my heart in an impactful way with him, I take communion. But I've realized that, like, I can't do this and have a dishonest heart. I can't, yeah. I can't hide from the Lord when I do communion. I mean, I have, to, 
like to really do this thing right, I have to be totally honest with him and lay it all on the line. Mm -hmm. So I, to me, that my simplest explanation that I say is it keeps me honest before him. And that's really important. Yeah. And so if I have a relationship with you, Molly, and I'm like hiding things from you and not being honest and telling you half truths, I mean, you're going to feel a little kind of jilted on the other end, aren't you? Right. Correct. I would not like that. Yeah. And so... That's the well, it just hurts our relationship, and it does, yes. And unless we can have, like, if we can't have a conversation about where you are, or if there's things inside of you that you're holding against me, or that we haven't even had a conversation about, then I there's no way that I can even speak into that because I can't speak into something that you're covering. No, that's true, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's how it is with God. Like, if we're not honest before Him, you can't crucify what you cover, yeah. And so, if we refuse to be honest and bring it all on the table then he he can't touch it because yeah. we're too busy covering it up. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and so and so um you know, one of the things the power there's a lot of power in communion and it's um and some a lot of people have said that they've been healed by doing communion um and it it brings right thinking to our minds because we're like us like you just said if we're coming and we're being honest with with God in this Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's gonna deliver on his side of it, and and the cross is hugely impactful. That's why he went to the cross in the first place was to heal us and to save us and deliver us. Yeah, and so it brings our body, soul, and spirit in alignment with Jesus, and it's rightly honoring him too. And so a lot of people say that they that it really impacts their relationship with Christ, and it takes them on a deeper level, and it has this purifying effect on them, and so. Um, you know, and be- the beauty of it is that you can do it anywhere, anytime. And I do have to say that there's a really good book out there by Benny Johnson called The Power of Communion. And she's got a lot of stories that I haven't even touched about uh, how communion has really changed and impacted people's lives. And uh, there's story after story about like people in the workplace doing communion. And, you know, like there's some guy that works outdoors and he was doing communion every day with his Gatorade and bread. Wow. You know, in his workplace. So, I mean, you can do it anywhere, anytime because it's a heart thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in the four walls of a building called the church. Mm-hmm. And so I also want to, like, just to be clear, because I do want to be transparent. Like, I'm going to read a quote, a paragraph out of the out of Benny Johnson's book. And, it, and she was saying, communion is not a magic pill. And God is not a vending machine, and which is really important. We, uh, we, he doesn't want us to eat a wafer and drink some grape juice every day so that he will grant our wishes. Communion is about aligning ourselves with him, spirit, soul, and body. It's a chance for us to remember the debt of sin that hung around our necks that was too big for us to ever repay on our own. And the way that Jesus took that debt with him to the cross so that you and I uh, that you and I could have life and have it abundantly, that he says in John 10, 10. It's a chance for us to come in, in humility and in honor into the presence of the Lord to praise his name for everything that he's done for us and to celebrate uh, in union with other believers. So take this tool, she says, take this tool given to us by Jesus himself and use it frequently. You won't remain the same. And that's his promise. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's really good. I think, man, I know communion uh, has even changed my life. And this whole idea of remembering Jesus and remembering what he's done and to, 
and to wrap my head around uh, getting the focus off of me and getting it on to the only one who's ever been faithful. And I went through this season of my life. When I say season, I mean like a couple months. But, you know, I got so hung up on the latest, greatest psychiatry and the latest, greatest trauma healing things that that have been presented. And I love, I mean, I love science and I love those things. And so I don't want to bash that. Like Mm -hmm. that is like, there's a place and a time and science backs up what God has said. You know what I mean? So I don't want to do that, but I will say that I kind of went off the deep end with this whole idea that your body remembers trauma. I mean, there's books about it. There's uh, articles and scientific papers and in medical science that everyone right now has been talking a lot about how your body remembers, that your body remembers trauma and that trauma gets stored up inside of you and that your body has to complete its trauma cycle. And until your body's completed its trauma cycle, that you'll remain in fight, flight, or freeze, or you'll have these trauma responses. And I kind of went off the deep end where, <laughs> shocker, I got hyper-focused on something. And I was like, man, I've had, you know, I've had a lot of trauma. I've had sexual trauma. I've had abusive trauma. I've had trauma, just like many, anyone Mm -hmm. else who's Mm -hmm. listening. Everyone has some form of trauma in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I went off the deep end with this and I was like, okay, well then what I'm going to do is every single day, I'm going to lay down in my closet and I'm going to try to help my body complete its trauma cycle so that I won't keep having to, you know, having any kind of trauma responses. So I'd lay in my closet and I'd close my eyes and I'd remember whatever had happened to me. And I would try to release whatever the tension was in my body for that moment. And I probably did this every day for at least a month, maybe two months. And I was like, man, I just, I'm not feeling that great. Like I, I feel like I'm doing this thing and I don't really know where it's going and maybe there's release, maybe there's not. I can't really tell. I've read all these books. And then there was one day and I'm sitting at a conference and I think uh, Dr. Lori was speaking and I'm not really quite sure what she was talking about, but I remember I was sitting there and the power of communion hit me like a ton of bricks and I heard Holy Spirit loud and clear and he said, you can either your body can either remember or you can remember my body, but you can't have both. Wow. And I lost it. <laughs> I mean, full on just cry fest, lost it. Yeah. Because I was like, oh my gosh, I've gone down the rabbit hole with this and it's become an idol in my life yeah. because I'm so focused on me, 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 me. And what you can do for yourself. And what I can do. Right. I'm trying to regulate trauma. I'm trying to make sure that I'm okay. I'm trying to become my own protector. I'm trying to read enough books. So it was all up to you to so be it was your own savior. All about me. Yeah. And it's so clearly your body can remember or you can remember my body, but you can't do both. Yeah. And so which will you choose was basically the thing. And I was like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to remember your body. Uh And he said, that's good because actually the completion of every single trauma cycle is on the cross. Yeah, that's way good. The the completion of any trauma, it doesn't matter anything that's happened to me. He completed it on the cross. And that's the invitation for all of us. And if we can look at his broken body on the cross, that's the completion of our trauma cycle. That's it. And guess what? He died and he rose again. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get to do. 
And I had to make an active choice in that. Then yeah. whenever I took, there was an invitation to take communion. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is what I am committing myself to remember, that I won't keep looking. And you have to acknowledge, you know, you have to acknowledge the stuff that comes yes, up. Yes, it's important to like, acknowledge it, yes. So we're not saying don't look at the things that have happened to you. Absolutely, you have to do that. But to look at what's happened to you in light of what's happened to Jesus. Because that's where you're going to have an accurate perspective. And and giving it to Jesus right. on the cross. Yes, because whenever you realize that every traumatic thing that's ever happened to you, when you can recognize that he carried the fullness of yeah. that on the cross, yeah. that his blood covers that thing, and that his body was broken. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he bore it all. He bore every sin. Can you imagine the weight of that? No, it had to be crushing, and he was completely sinless. He didn't do one thing wrong. And I knew in that moment that there is not one single thing inside of me that can compete with innocence crucified. Not one thing. There's not one trauma thing that can compete with that. So you shifted your focus from yourself. So I shifted my focus. To Jesus, yeah. And when I say the power of communion, I just know that for me... I mean, it healed something spiritually and emotionally and probably quite literally physically so that I'm not still thinking about those things. But now I have freedom to dream about, oh, okay, then now what? Like, if that's the completion of my trauma cycle, then Jesus, how did you create me? And for what? And what's my purpose? And what's my destiny? Right, right, right. Because now I don't, I'm not, I can't manage all this over here and I was never meant to. Well, and I think to get back to... Like how, how you responded to what Jesus says is really important. Like, so you responded with intention. Yeah. Like it could have been that you, as you were sitting in the seat there, you could have said, yeah, that's really nice, Jesus. And then just kind of gone on, you know, mm. but he, he was extending that to you, which really requires a response. Yeah. And if you don't respond in some way, then, then nothing like Nothing is going to change. And so you had an intentionality about it and you had to intentionally say, yes. And I choose to shift my focus on the cross and I choose to shift my focus on what you did. And I know that I know you've told me this story before, but like, so you're sitting there in that chair, listening to that and responding to Jesus, but you probably had that same invitation another day, another time. Mm-hmm. And maybe you didn't feel like it. Yeah. But you you in, made the intentional choice to shift your focus from yourself to what he did on the cross. Yes. And that's that's what communion helps you do, is to make that intentional choice to shift your focus from yourself to what Christ did for us. Yes. And because whenever he says, do this in remembrance, is like that, because we forget. Yeah. Because then you go on and... Five days later, five weeks later, five minutes later, something has happened and you've forgotten and suddenly you've become self-focused or inward focused again. And whenever you're your own reference point to whatever has happened or is happening or whatever the circumstances, it will never fulfill and it will never satisfy. And then you have to manage yourself. And we were never called to do that. But whenever we can get outside of ourselves and get our eyes off of us because Jesus is supposed to be the focus point. Yeah. And when Jesus becomes your reference point and what he's done becomes your reference point, your whole worldview will shift. Yeah. How you see everything will change drastically. 
And so that's the part about your, your heart coming alive. Yes. And it gives that life back to you and all Mm -hmm. those dead things that have been rolling around in there. They get exchanged for the life that he gives us. And then we get to share in life with him and in relationship with our literal creator. Don't you have a story about that? Yeah. So, um, so this is a little bit side tangent. Um, so one other perspective that I just kind of want to lay on the table is that um, there's a teaching that I heard many years ago, and I'll just go ahead and give the reference to it from Ray Vanderlyn, his teaching called That the World May Know. And I put in that out there because he's really got a lot of good teaching. And so um, all this in reference to what I said earlier in the podcast, that biblical truths are multi-layered. And so in what uh, in Isaiah 54, it says the maker is your husband. We kind of mentioned that earlier. But in other words, we're in covenant relationship with Jesus, the son. And um, during biblical times, and I've told this story actually while we were in several different settings giving communion. Um, uh, in, in biblical days, in Hebrew times, in the Hebrew culture, a young man who was a ver- of marrying age, he might like go to market. Um, you know, the, the culture that that time was very segregated. Men don't mix with women too much. Women don't mix too much with men when they're single. It mm-hmm. was, and so it may be this young man, he sees this young woman in marketplace. Maybe he might know her name and kind of knows her family. Like he kind of knows that comes from the whatever Smith family, you know. Mm-hmm. So he kind of knows her, kind of bumped into her. Or maybe like in school in earlier, like in young really young age he might have been acquainted with her but anyway he's he's got this woman he's got this girl in mind and so he goes to his father and he's like dad there's this there's this girl that i th- i think i want to marry she seems really nice and and you know what what do you think about that so they'd have a discussion back and forth and finally they would come to the okay let's do it let's that seems like a good choice so um the young man would go with his dad, with his father, to the woman's house to meet her mom and dad. And uh, they so then they'd talk about a bride price, you know, um, which back then was like money that, that the woman's father would ask in exchange for giving up his daughter. So they go through all the negotiations and stuff. And so finally, they get to the point in the conversation where, okay, it's a good thing. Let's go ahead with that the, the young boy and the young girl would get married. And so what happens is they the father of the young man would give his his uh, son a cup of wine. And the son with the cup of wine would sit at a table, and the young girl that he's going to marry would sit on the other side of the table. And the son, in turn, would offer the cup of wine to the to the girl and say, this cup I offer to you. In, an, in effect, he's saying, I love you, and I offer you my life. Will you marry me? Will you do life with mm-hmm. me? And so, in essence, that's what's happening in communion, in that Jesus on the cross, he's given us this cup of wine, and, and wine in the Bible is always a symbolic of intimacy. And so he's offering us this cup of wine and he's to each one of us, and he's saying, will you do life with me? And so the girl on the other side of the table, she has a choice, and that represents all of us. We, we all have a choice. Do we take the cup and say, yeah, I want to do life with you. Or she could decline the cup and say, I, you know, I don't think so. And then mm. it would be over. But that's what happens. That's the powerful story 
of communion that is like Jesus is offering us this cup of wine of intimacy. And he's saying, will you do life with me? Let's do life together. Yeah. And then we get the choice to say, yes, I want to do the life together with you. And I surrender to you and I surrender to what, how you want me to do life together. And that's what happens in communion. It's super, super powerful. It's so good. So then I think to wrap up, yeah, I think to wrap up, then here's what I'm hearing is that we were born into a sinful, fallen world, inherently sinful, and that separated us from our Father, because God is holy, and sin separates us. And in His love and compassion, Jesus chose to go to the cross, to make a way for us to be reconciled back to our Father, for us to be reconciled back into right relationship with Him, so that we can, in fact, do life with Him. And what I'm hearing is that then communion sets our heart back on the right place, gets our heart back in alignment with that truth that we're called to live life with God in relationship. And that as we partake in communion, in the sharing of life together, then we remember what He's done. And as we remember what He's done, our life is transformed because our, tra- our perspective is transformed. And everything starts to shift around that. And then we can truly learn what it's like to walk and follow in the ways of Jesus. And that we can choose to accept what he's done for us on the cross. And we can choose to accept that that was enough. That there's more power in one drop of his blood than there is in anything that would try to stand against or come against our relationship with our creator. And as we choose to focus on that and remember that, that we come to life that we're given back our very life and our heart begins to beat again and we get breath inside of our lungs and we find out what were we created for. And so I just want to encourage you, if like me, you were kind of skeptical about communion in the beginning because it sounds weird, I just want to encourage you to read the scriptures and to remember him. And whenever you remember him to really engage your heart, when you remember the cross to engage, to engage your physical body, to engage your mind, to engage your imagination and your spirit and ask God what he wants to do in you and through you. So we're praying for you guys that the Lord would radically encounter you during your communion time, that you would have hearts to see him rightly and that your lives would be changed. And so we thank you guys for listening and we'll talk with you next time. Bye. Bye.